Welcome back to Series 5 of the Conformance Cast. Again, our guest for the series is Jonathan Furman, an instructor at A2LA Workplace Training, specializing in ISO 17065 and product certification programs. If you'd like more information on training or consulting, visit A2LAWPT.org. Here we are for the trilogy episode. I'm your host, Matt McCutcheon. Thanks again for chatting with us, John. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Matt. Last episode's we gave some insights into the concepts and benefits of an audit, as well as how to plan and prepare for it. In this episode, big episode coming up here, we're gonna be moving into discussing the auditor themselves. So it is time to select that auditor. John, I know no one off the street is just gonna come into an organization and audit it, but you have a choice as to who is gonna perform that audit. So it is important to choose that right auditor. The big question, how do organizations do that? Right. This is going to be a pretty critical choice to make and have a lot to do with the outcome of the audit, sort of the value that you would get out of that process. In the first episode, I talked about looking at internal audits as a checking mechanism for management. It does a lot of different things. It allows you to verify conformance to your own quality system. It helps you meet the accreditation body requirements that might apply to you. But most of all, it gives management a good indication of how the organization is performing and should ideally give them some sense of how to steer the organization moving forward. If you look at it that way, you can have a really good procedures in place. You can have a perfect schedule, great planning. But if you have auditors that just don't really fit, if they're not good at the like the core competencies in auditing, you're mm-hmm. talking to people, collecting information, making inferences, drawing conclusions, those sorts of things, that the, the value of that measurement is just going to plummet. You really need to kind of identify somebody who's good to go, that works with people well, and that has the right background. If an auditor, say, is somebody you're not looking for, and you explain to this person, well, you kind of lack this, this, and this, and this is why we didn't select you, if that were to happen, is there a way for these auditors to learn those soft skills, those technical skills? Can they go someplace to get that knowledge and that information become a auditor who would be selected? Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of training content that's out there. Obviously, a lot of courses that you can take with different organizations that will give you different levels of I guess, like certification or give you certain credentials uh, that'll go along with that. You could be a qualified lead auditor, that sort of thing. You could take classes in specific ISO standards or specific audit criteria. Those things are definitely out there. For most organizations, they do some sort of in-house training uh, with whatever the core ISO IEC standard is. They do that uh, training in conjunction with their management system. They get qualified to audit their specific organization and hopefully the the company, you know, they got enough staff there that they can select somebody that has the right sort of characters or the right sort of personality that they can meet the personal dynamics in terms of going out and doing audits and interviewing people, that sort of thing. But I think that probably what most organizations are looking at, they're passing the audit to whoever is the most technically experienced individual in the organization. Whoever's best familiar with the the technical activities, whatever they may be, whoever has the best technical competencies, the the most experienced, I think that they're kind of, uh, you know, just saying like, okay, well, this person is going to be the auditor because, you know, they know know more than Yeah, they know everything. (laughs) But it's not always the case that sort of the personal skills coincide with somebody that has all the technical skills. Ideally, they would, um, but that's not always the case. So definitely encourage organizations, you know, if audits are a big part of your operation, dedicate some time to an internal training process that not only gets folks accustomed to the different normative criteria that's out there, but also highlights soft skills, personal skills Mm -hmm. that would be key for doing the audit. Like you said, having all that training and knowledge in the industry is just one part of being an auditor. There's also that human element, those soft skills that you had mentioned earlier. What does that require of an auditor? 
Well, it's a good question. I want to kind of touch back on what we talked about in episode one a little bit, that the audit process can be very intimidating. You know, people hear about internal audits, they think deficiencies, yeah. they think- Deer in a headlight. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. They're under the microscope and that, you know, maybe this is a part of my personnel evaluation. This is going to have some impact on my career, that sort of thing. You want to have somebody that really kind of like has a calming presence, somebody that is able to provide assurance to individuals that, hey, I'm here to audit the system. I'm not auditing you specifically. Mm-hmm. Any findings are a reflection of the system. They're not- you know, reflection of you. Right, exactly. You need to have those elements. But what goes along with that is just kind of having like the right poise, being able to raise issues tactfully, being very mature about the way that you look at the work, maintaining objectivity, just being kind of easygoing and positive. You assume the best, but trust but verify. So empathy is really important here. We want to make sure that the folks that are doing this, they're working with humans. We want to make sure that they remember first and foremost that they're human beings that they're on the same level of of these folks that they're working with. People that can kind of come into the room, keep folks at ease, develop a good rapport, and not only for keeping folks comfortable and secure during the audit, but if you have somebody intimidating, if you have somebody that comes off as cold and isn't fun to be around, the quality of input and feedback you're going to get from your staff is obviously going to suffer. Yeah, you don't want somebody that's going to be torqued with their responses and just yes, no, maybe. You want somebody that's going to be able to explain right. you know, a question, uh, you know, provide an answer that it provides an explanation to the person that's asking that question. There's that rapport mm-hmm. say, that builds up. You feel more comfortable with that person talking to them and discussing what is happening, what's going on, what you're doing in this process. And it makes it feel like you've now disassociated yourself, the employee, from the auditing process because you're not being audited as an employee. The process of the organization is being audited. And I think that's a really good point. Yeah, you know, there's a difference between interviewing somebody, probing, analyzing the information. If you're giving off this sort of like interrogation vibe, then, you know, obviously people are going to clam up. Yeah, you don't Uh, want to be good cop, bad cop. (laughs) Right, right. You know, if you're being an interrogator and you find something, the individuals aren't going to be as forthcoming. So you're only really going to understand a fraction of what the issue is. It's just really important to maintain a dialogue handle the audit, at least the interview elements as a conversation that's ongoing. Another element too that you want that's really key is uh, independence from what's being audited. In as much as possible, the auditor should have some distance from what they're reviewing. Okay. Um, you know, So that way there's not any sort of like internal bias. Like somebody in the organization, as you had stated earlier, is usually the chosen person that becomes the auditor. You would want, say, if you're doing, just off the top of my head, like a calibration audit, you may want to pull somebody from another field outside of calibration that has an understanding of the ISO standards and everything in calibration, but they're not biased by anything in that calibration field or in that area. Possibly something like that. It's really going to depend on the resources that are available to the organization. But yeah, I mean, you don't want the team lead auditing their team's work as the official audit record because, you know, obviously, you know, (laughs) even unwittingly, right. You know, like they're, they're going to want to put a positive spin on it just because it's, Hey, these are my people, you know, there's that risk of bias is present in anything. You want to have somebody that's a people person, probably somebody that would do well in sales. Uh, There's somebody that does well with clients, but that also has a strong enough command of the technical language and understanding background in the technical activities. And another thing with that, too, is that with some of the specialized activities that end up being audited, you want to make sure that the individuals being interviewed have confidence in the auditor. You know, they don't want to be like, hey, who's this kid off the street that's just, you know, coming in here asking me all these questions? Right, yeah. It really is a blend of a bunch of different qualities that would make the ideal assessor. And kind of like what I was saying before is that organizations are always bound to whatever the resource options availability is at their business. 
I do think that organizations can get a lot of mileage out of cultivating audit training skills beyond simply understanding, hey, this is the quality system, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. Talk a little bit about like, hey, how to effectively work with people, lead teams, coach people, all those sorts of things. I used to previously work as a QA manager. I used to hold what I would call audit etiquette training, okay. which was basically trying to be, it was like exposure therapy. It was like, all right, guys, you know, <laughs> auditors are going to be coming in. And they're going to be asking questions like, keep your cool, like, no reason to freak out, like, you know, and, and just try to kind of reinforce those Goose things. Goose Bravo. Goose Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, it's just kind of a you know, part of part of the QA world, I guess. You're always going to be kind of fighting that that dynamic, you know, kind of like treat QA as though you're part of like internal affairs or like a Benedict mm-hmm. Arnold or something mm-hmm. like that. And there's a lot of different things you can do to kind of fight that impression and win people over. Um, I was actually in a training session recently. And somebody that was just kind of very new to the, the QA world, they're kind of picking up on these two different ideas about quality management. Am I there to like make sure that we're on the up and up or am I there to find out who's making mistakes and then like weed them out, basically? It's a balance of those two things. You're looking for why the mistake is happening, not who right. is causing the mistake, the right. why behind it. Yeah. You want to find somebody that's kind of bought into what the company wants to do with its QA effort internally. Okay. And somebody that's going to be able to kind of cultivate, bring people, win people over, and just kind of like get consensus that like, hey, let's all talk about what we're doing here. Really impress upon people that like, hey, by participating in the audit, you're going to be able to provide feedback that's going to allow us to improve. You had mentioned earlier, some of these companies have internal audit training, which I think is really good because what happens when the person you've selected as an auditor decides to shift career focus or move to a different company? Now... You don't have that auditor in-house anymore. You got to start all over. But with a training program, you're prepared for that. You've got people waiting in the wings who know about this process, who've been learning about this process, who have been learning to become that personable people person mm-hmm. as an auditor. So you're not handcuffed one, you know, somebody leaves and you're like, oh my goodness, we've got to start this whole process all over. We got to train somebody brand new. No, that doesn't happen. You're like, oh, well, you know, Joe and Jody over here are prepared to step into this role as John moves on, you know, in his career or whatever. So that's really good. That's, uh, I think, a very key, important aspect of the auditing process is you probably want to have a training um, yeah. in-house program to keep that the auditors fresh, keep them up to date with new auditing policies and things of that nature that they need to know, and to keep a constant supply of auditors in-house. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of those skills are also going to carry over into other activities probably from the ISO standard that you're accredited to, you know, complaint investigation, working on root cause analysis and corrective action, those sorts of things. Just having an understanding of, hey, how do these procedures come together to instruct staff and, you know, the outputs that are involved. If you can afford to have that training program, they're very valuable skills. They apply to other situations. They're not just relevant for filling out checklists. Yeah. Uh, every year, you get a lot of uh, value out of that. Yeah. And you had said in episode one, how valuable of a management tool auditing is. So if you have the budget to do that, keep that training program up and running and in-house. So you've been chosen as an auditor, John. What do they do when they're auditing? We talked last time about using checklists to document evidence. You're uh, reviewing the criteria and the standard. You're making sure that there are certain processes and actions and records that are in place corresponding to all the requirements that apply. There's a large part that happens as a document review, but then in terms of interviewing and observing people, that's kind of where the, the human element comes in again. You need to let people know why you're there, what evidence you're looking for, and then ideally, you know, kind of give them the opportunity to address any questions you have or demonstrate 
their skills, and then you collect that that information. And so you would document that as evidence of conformance with the standard criteria or the company's own management system. I think that when you're doing that, you really want to kind of keep things as simple as possible. You don't want to make it confusing for individuals. Be clear, brief, be very direct, be very adaptive. You know, folks kind of communicate in all kinds of different ways. We need to be very flexible in terms of working with one person that, you know, maybe that person, you know, is very good at, you know, discussing and explaining what they do or somebody else, you know, they really kind of depend on you to ask them yes or no questions and really kind of like help navigate to the, the information. Some people are better non-verbally than verbally. They're better at writing down something. So yes, know, sending yeah. them an email with the questions might be better for one person than another because that person may just be more comfortable answering something in the written language rather than in the spoken language. So you're going to get more valuable data doing it that way compared to talking to them face to face, but their coworker may be the complete opposite. So you've got to transition and adapt like you're saying. Right. Listening is really key. You want to make sure that the, the individuals that you're working with, they have your full attention. I've definitely experienced audits uh, where, you know, people kind of come in and they think that hey, I'm this proven titan uh, in, the, in this industry. Like nobody can beat me. Like I know everything. That attitude just, it'll, it'll kill an audit. When you're working with those individuals, make sure that they understand, you know, hey, you're the most important person I'm dealing with. Make sure that they understand that you're listening, that you're trying to kind of experience what it is that they're explaining, what they're demonstrating. Ask questions, make comments in a very positive way. If you can, think back in your own career. Are there any parallels to what this individual is doing with what you used to do in your, in your in your previous work? Or did you know anybody that did that? If you're talking to somebody who's making very high level decisions about spending on capital equipment and business expansions, all those sorts of things versus the person that's in the receiving room dealing with FedEx and DHL and all those folks, regardless of whoever you're working with, make sure that they understand your attention is fully dedicated to them. And ways you can do this is just partially through body language. Make sure that you're relaxed, smile when you're working with them, maintain eye contact, express that interest, show that there's trust and appreciation. You know, even if you've never done that work before, you understand why it's key. Kind of embolden them and let them know that their work is important. Yeah, it matters. It, yeah <laughs> exactly. And I think that sometimes what can end up happening is people, they might get a little bit bored or they feel like, hey, you know, I need to do the talking now or something like that. And it's just kind of like a little bit of social awkwardness that you need to get past. Or when somebody's giving you their response and you're already thinking what you want to say and really kind of want to relax. Yeah, you're not truly listening at that point if you're already thinking about what you're going to say back to them when they're responding to you. You're not even listening to their answer at that point. Exactly. It's reading the room, giving folks their five minutes of fame, I guess, letting them breathe. Ideally, you've done all the planning and preparation. The, the audit's going to run itself. Yeah. Hey, let's just sit down and talk. Right. That's what you want to embody during the audit process when you're dealing with individuals. Be an open-minded fluid person and people will enjoy working with you and mm -hmm. you're going to get a very good understanding of uh, the work that they perform and how they measure up. And with that good information, we'll be able to turn it around and show how to better the organization and what can be done to improve and make profits better and all that good stuff. Yeah. You've mentioned before that the audit is about fact finding, which is, I think, a very key aspect of the audit. It's about finding facts. It's not about placing blame or anything on anybody or anything. So if it is about fact-finding in an audit, then what is the type of information and evidence that the auditor should be gathering? 
We've talked a little bit about this already, but asking questions. The auditor, prior to beginning the assessment, they should do a very comprehensive review of the organization's management system and have a pretty good understanding of the way that the organization operates, interrelates you know, within different parts of the, the business. You want to ask questions. You know what the answers should be according to that comprehensive document review you've done. But you want to ask questions to verify understanding. If there are any irregularities, you want to suss those out. If people have ideas about improvement, you know, they say, oh, well, you know, our procedure says to do it this way, but everybody does it this way because it's better. And, you know, you want to identify those sorts of things. Or if people can kind of talk about like, hey, here are the common fail points of a given process. Look at the facility and the equipment, you know, if there are consumables involved. If software is a big component of the testing, you want to verify that all those things are in place, that the proper verifications and validations are in place to support those. Obviously, that equipment's labeled, calibrated, et cetera, those sorts of things. You want to take a look at the records. What are the outputs of all these processes? You want to look at individuals' training records. What was the process of them being hired? How did the organization know that those individuals were competent? What training plan was in place? How were they authorized? How they continued that training stayed up to date. For equipment and different uh, materials that are going to be used, how did the organization know that that was the appropriate equipment? How did it source it? How did it communicate those requirements to suppliers? Where was that information gathered that this was the right thing? So you want to follow all of those threads and then kind of examine that evidence along the way that shows, hopefully, that the organization fulfilled their own process Mm -hmm. and that their own process meets the criteria of whichever ISO standard you're dealing yeah, with. Yeah. It's that, and then you know, observing the activities. Definitely with, with testing activities, calibration activities, you want to see that work done in its natural habitat as much as possible. When that's not available, it's, it's not going to be universally available at each assessment. Yeah. In some cases, you're going to have to do kind of like mock runs where you're just going to have to kind of like explain in abstract, like, well, this is what we would do if we were going to yeah, be testing. Yeah, the day you're showing up, the, right. the, that process isn't taking place on the day you're doing the audit. So you have to go into that fact-finding mode of, okay, well, explain it to me. How would this work? Right. And I, I mean, I think that what kind of what it comes back to with that then is you're just simply a neutral observer. You want to be positive and you want to be encouraging and interested, but nevertheless neutral. And kind of asking everybody like, hey, so what, what is it you're doing? Why are you doing it this way? Do you understand what the directives are that require you to perform in this way? Do you know what resources are available to you? What are the contingencies involved? What are the, like, the variables that come about with this particular process? You just want to be able to learn as much as you can. And hopefully the feedback that you collect corresponds with that document review you did. And everything's kind of in place and consistent. But when you find these sort of like incongruencies where things just don't add up, that's where you kind of need to zoom in and examine those things a little bit more and account for that gap. The criteria says that you're supposed to do this. You seem to understand that, but the record you provide doesn't completely fulfill that. Am I missing something here? Last time I talked about if you find or if you believe that you've run into a deficiency, if you've encountered a finding, you really want to second guess yourself. You really want to understand precisely through what angle is this finding an issue? Is it a finding on the procedural level? Is there a finding just with the record? Faults can occur in many different ways. Just double checking the work that you're doing to make sure that it is a deficiency, that it's not something you're like, well, I think this is a deficiency. But then when you get the further information, you're like, okay, it is not a deficiency. It is this. Right. Kind of a way to illustrate that would be on site at an assessment with a lab and you're uh, interviewing somebody, they're demonstrating how they perform a particular test and they, they mess up. You could draw some different conclusions from that, right? Is it that this individual is simply not trained to do that? Is it a training issue? Is there 
something going back into the uh, organization's training requirements, training program that, that failed here? Is there some sort of supplemental procedure that that individual should have been using when they did the demonstration and that's why they failed to do X, Y, or Z things. Is it anxiety related? Are yeah, they just freaking right. out because they're in the midst of an audit and they've got to perform this task and they're just nervous about performing it in front of somebody they're not used to doing it on the daily with? These are also questions that, that the organization is going to have to ask itself when they do recalls analysis and, and develop a corrective action plan. Okay. But as an assessor, you can help the organization kind of, if you're able to pin down, okay, this appears to be what went wrong and tie it to that, you know, rather than just saying like, so-and-so is not trained to do X. If you could find like what the main contributing factor to that is. Like you said before, a gap in training or something like that. Yeah. That caused that uh, that deficiency in that person's work just because they didn't know. Yeah. You, you, want, you don't want to have a whole bunch of sort of blanket statements, absolute statements about the organization. You want to make sure that there's substance to what you're finding and that it's going to give the organization an idea of like, hey, where do I need to dig to really get value out of this? You know, just saying something like, oh, training program is bad. That doesn't really help anybody. You know, yeah. it's like you need to help them understand what the failing aspect is. Thanks so much for talking to us this episode, John, about how crucial to the quality of the audit and auditor is. Well, thanks for listening into our audit conversation on the Conformance Cast. You now know what it takes to be an auditor and what to look for in your auditor. On our final episode, John is gonna go over how to close out the audit, the report and the follow-up. It is not a nightmare on Audit Street. Join us next time on the Conformance Cast.